All right, here we go today on episode 15. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. Uh, we're going to get deep and theological. So I think uh, if, you're, if you're ready for that, then uh, you'll be uh, really well informed after this podcast is over. So we're going to be talking about... No pressure. <laughs> hopefully, if you, you know, if you pay attention and take notes while you're driving, please don't do that. Um, we're going to be talking about um, a little bit about last week's message titled Church why bother talking about Luke chapter four verses 14 through 30. Um, but really what we're going to be talking about is, uh, kind of the Trinity and everything that, that, that implies both philosophically and theology, theologically, and, um, kind of how in turn that really affects how we live day to day in, in a lot of ways. So Tobin, why don't you uh, start us off a little bit with, um, really the, uh, maybe, maybe a quick little, good way into his kind of Trinity Sunday. Uh, we, we talked about that briefly, um, but how does that lead us into a deeper understanding of, of the Trinity? Oh, okay. No pressure and um, no short response is required. Uh, but I'll do my best. I Actually, before I do that, I heard this quote this week um, that I really liked. I probably would, and I thought about using it here on the podcast because it's a, more the realm for it as opposed to you know, from the pulpit, but, uh, and I forgot who the theologian was, someone I had not heard of, but it was quoted on one of the people I follow on social media. Don't remember even who that person was. Uh, perhaps Jeff Coos, who's a theology prophet, uh, Seattle Pacific University, said that, um, and this, this theologian was writing late 1800s, so the 19th century, uh, late 19th century. He said, religion is like a swimming pool. All the noise comes from the shallow end. Hmm. And there's, there's an aspect of that, that that I really resonate with. Uh, the, the less folks really dive into the deep, deep, deep mystery of who God is, the less willing we are to understand the complexities of the world. In other words, um, the shallow one is in their faith, the noisier they are regarding their own biases, preconceived notions, and presuppositions. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. It's almost like the deeper you uh, you learn about God, the more likely you realize that uh, it is very hard to comprehend and understand the nature of God. Therefore, to argue from a point of some kind of fact about who God is seems very naive and immature, and you begin to understand that. Yeah, totally true. I mean, because um, when you do, theology is an interesting word. It just, it's, it comes from theos, which is God, and logos, which is the me, which is words. So theology proper is just words about God. Theology isn't God, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, there are words about God. There are best guess about who God is, because we steep into the mysteries, steep ourselves in the mysteries of uh, of of the ways of God uh, that we read and study over and over and over again with different nuances in the scriptures over the years, uh, but those mysteries are always mystery mysterious. And, and, and the other thing about mystery is it's not that it's not understandable as much as it is you have your whole life to live into some sort of understanding of those deep mysteries. Mm-hmm. The folks that I get worried about, those are the ones that make the most noise in the shallow end of the pool, are the ones that think that they've got it all figured out. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, really an unwillingness to to dive into the deeper end, which is one of the reasons, right, we do this podcast, because mm-hmm. it's, it's just another way to develop uh, people who understand the complexities and the nuances of the way of the way. 
right. in Christ. Um, and we rarely take time to do that because there's so much pressure to, you know, be entertaining and to make me feel good. And, but there's so much more. Yeah. So anyway, I digress on a slight rant. Sorry about that. It's good. So, you know, theology is, is, it's not God. It's just our best thinking about God. I, T.S. Eliot has a great quote. Uh, we, these are our hints and guesses about who God is. So last Sunday was uh, Trinity Sunday. And uh, Trinity Sunday is a one time a year. Uh, and it's always uh, juxtaposed with Memorial Weekend, which I find fascinating because, again, uh, Christ, Christians tell time differently. We have a different calendar. We go by different rhythms. You know, Sunday is not a day off. Sunday is a day to uh, worship. And when we worship rightly and well in community, there's a sense of connectedness with God, connectedness with each other, connectedness uh, with our larger community, and we find restoration in that, Sabbath healing. It's, it's, it's sacred. It's work stoppage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we tell time differently. So Trinity Sunday is always... Uh, butts itself up again. I just said but. Uh, always finds itself right next to that Memorial Day weekend holiday, which we ought to say thank you to those who have allowed us to have the freedom to host podcasts like this. On the other hand, also recognize that we do tell time differently, that we have different holidays, that our lives are ordered around different festivals and festivities than simply the Hallmark calendar. So Trinity Sunday was last Sunday. And Trinity... Sunday, to me, everything is about Trinity. Um, Theology is important. Um, Whether we realize it or not, our theology drives our way of being as individuals, as families, as lovers, as uh, churches, um, as nonprofits, just as people in the world, or atheists or agnostics. Mm -hmm. Those are theological systems as well. They just... Right. They live life as if they don't believe in God. Right. And that affects how they live. And that's a theology. Right. It's a worldview. It's a way of life. So to me, everything is about theology, which is why I get so excited about it. Um, So Trinity Sunday is the recognition on at least one Sunday a year, and we celebrate it with the color red for divinity. Uh, It's kind of our ultimate color. We don't use red very often. We only use red liturgically in the colors uh, of the the season for Pentecost. We use it for Trinity Sunday, and then we use it on uh, ordination days. Those are the only times we use that color. Other times it's blue, it's red, it's green. I mean, blue, uh, white, or green. Hmm. Um, so it's talking about the royalty, the transcendence of it, the holiness of it, the otherworldliness of this, the divinity of it. So even the color is meant to capture our imaginations and point it in a different direction. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the Trinity because I think it imp- it has it implicates even in this text that we looked at Sunday, uh, although very nuanced, but it still is implied in the text. So I'm going to create a new category for you. Uh, I want you to, I'm going to create a category called the Trinity place. And I want you to imagine Garrett for a minute that nothing exists. You're not sitting in this room. We're not, we don't have headphones on. We're not talking into a microphone. You're not here. I'm not here. No one's here. Uh, the planet's not here. The cosmos isn't here. There's absolutely nothing of the created order. The only thing that is here is God. And a Christian God that 
that we've learned to call a Trinitarian God, small t. Uh, We worship a Trinity, capital T. And this capital T God is uh, three persons sharing indivisibly one common essence. So there's never, never the time when all three of them aren't present in any act of one of those three, even if the other names aren't mentioned. So when Jesus dies on the cross, uh, the Spirit is present, and the God and the Godhead is there. When God, when we ent- embrace and read the creation narratives, um, the primary actor is the Creator. Uh, secondary actors are the Spirit of God that hovers over the face of the chaos, over the face of the deep, and then God, the Creator, the main subject, creates as the spirit pushes back the chaos, utilizing the word, hmm. which in John 1, 1, the word is the divine logos, hmm. Jesus Christ. So even in that capacity of creation, all three are present, even though the Godhead is the primary one, uh, and the spirit is mentioned, and the son is very indirectly mentioned. But what I want us to do is imagine nothing exists. The only thing that exists is the Trinity, uh, Creator, Son, Holy Spirit, and we're going to call that the Trinity place. And within the Trinity place, there's there's mutuality, there's relationship, there's reciprocity, there's there's love, there's holiness, there's unconditional love, there's a God that's infinite, there's a God there that all the all the incommunicable attributes that we don't get to participate in, like being all-knowing, being all-present, omniscient, um, all-powerful, eternal, infinite, holy, wise, just, all those types of words that we use to describe um, the Godhead, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In a priori theological language, if that's all there is, that's plenty. And one of my favorite uh, theologians is an Episcopalian, Father Robert Farrar Capone uh, in New York City, who imagines one night the Father, Son, and Spirit finishing up a nice dinner together, and they finished it off uh, afterwards with uh, some scotch and cigars, and they were laughing and telling stories, and out of the mutuality of the loving relationship of like for like in the infinite eternal trinity place, the three of them decide to create everything that there is. Hmm. But everything that there is, earth, moon, stars, sun, now now imagine us existing, we exist within that broader category of trinity place, Hmm. right? So what's interesting is if there's room within trinity place for created cosmic space, Mm -hmm. then there ought to be room for Christian men, women, and children who are inhabited by the Holy Spirit of God to find room for those who are not part of their club. Hmm. And to the extent that we're able 
to have our hearts enlarged by the Holy Spirit that pushes back all of our preconceived notions, similar to the way the Holy Spirit pushed back the chaos and the creation narrative so that order could come in. If that Holy Spirit is able to push back all of our preconceived notions and prejudices and bigotries and ideas and uh, expectations and everything that we think we know about everything, if that can be pushed out because the Spirit of God is alive in us, there then is room potentially uh, within the created space of my heart to find room for someone who is not like myself. If I can't, and I still call myself a Christian, then I have to ask the question, are you really? Hmm. In other words, if there's no room in your heart for someone other than your idea or what your expectation is or what you think is right, even everything that you've always thought to be true, then I would have to highly question whether you, in fact, are alive to God through Christ as the Spirit enlivens you and makes your heart lar- larger uh, and that's a struggle that I find us in today in the modern church mm-hmm. significantly. And we're finding it playing itself out uh, in racially bigoted comments that are not going away. We're finding it out uh, in conversations with how do we treat people that are not uh, sufficiently uh, legally papered. We're struggling with it in male-female relationships. We're struggling with it uh, at all forms and all levels of institutions and power struggles and nation states. So it's a fascinating, fascinating conversation. So Trinity Sunday, to me, everything is about the Trinity. And the deeper we understand the inner workings of the Holy Spirit, the more room there might be in my heart, in your heart, in the heart of this congregation, or in the heart of the capital C church around the world, to find room for the other. Hmm. Which is what takes us to this text, because Jesus basically, you know, goes to his home church. It's going to be a great sentimental rendezvous. Everybody is excited. Jesus is this growing uh, orator in the land. He's been performing miracles. Uh, People are getting healed. And his reputation has preceded him. Now he's coming back to his home church, kind of like a, kind of like the kids on The Voice do when they make it to the top ten, and, mm-hmm. and then they home. get to go home, you know. Right. And there's this big rendezvous, a big party, right? Yeah. And they celebrate. Hey, remember this was just the dude. He just used to cut my grass, yeah. or served me coffee, and now he's on The Voice. He's a star. Whoa, whoa. His reputation preceded him, and Jesus, you know, is the same way. And he goes back to his home church, and he opens up the texts. The text for the day, he reads it, and he sits down. He says, today, everything that I just read has been fulfilled in your hearing, and I'm the fulfillment of it. And they love the guy hmm. because now their Messiah figure is here, and he's going he's gonna to coalesce all the Israelites to kick some Roman ass. Mm-hmm. Basically, they wanted a, a political figure that would uh, overthrow all their op- oppressors. That was their expectation. And Jesus doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. And for as much as they loved him within eight more verses, because he was more concerned about the other, mm-hmm. you know, healing uh, a demon-possessed person on the shores of Lake 
uh, of Lake Galilee in Capernaum, who was actually a Gentile. And because he was concerned about a Syrian widow more than a Jewish widow, he basically was rejected because he went to people who were on the outside of Judaism. It wasn't that he was rejected by Judaism and went around them. Mm -hmm. He was rejected by Judaism because he started with Judaism, but his end game was all people. Right. And they didn't like that. Mm -hmm. You know, and the story's dramatic. Mm. They're pissed. Yeah. You know, uh, went from uh, you're our favorite rock star to taking him out of the synagogue in a mob fashion, bringing him to the edge of the cliff, and they wanted to throw him over the end of the edge of the cliff. Yeah. What? What? This is their homeboy. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, and so I don't know how you heard that text on Sunday, or even how you've connected some of these dots that we've that I've been ranting on here for a while. Uh, but to me, it's the reason Jesus is like that is because that's the way the Trinity is. Mm -hmm. Within the self-sufficiency of the like-for-like -like community of Godhead, Son, and Holy Spirit, there was still room for like for other. Mm -hmm. In fact, the creation is the ultimate expression of God's inherent love for the other. Love for other than God's self. Right. All of creation. So this is not new news to anybody. This is, you know, this is, this is the way God is. Right, and there could be, there could be a narrative made, or there right. is, that um, some of the celestial beings weren't super keen on that. If you want to, you know, dive in a little bit, what we talked about last week. You know, God, what are you, what are you loving these people before us? True. Or whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. So it's a repeating story that repeats all over again. It is a repeating story, and it's a story of. And it really, truly is a story of power encounter. Yeah. Uh, whether it's in the heavenlies, or in church institutions, or in the church, or in government institution, or ge geopolitical geopolitics within the family. Yeah. So I was yeah. So a couple things that was great. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, I don't know how I'll be able to digest all of that, but a couple of things that really stood out to me. Um, something that I never really made the connection quite so strongly is this the creation narrative um, kind of connected to our new creation with the Holy Spirit, right? So if, if God uh, makes room for creation, for physicality, for, for, for everything, uh, and fast forward, you know, many, many eons, and you get to, you know, some of the terminology in the New Testament about being a new creation, um, and then even, even on the most basic level, wondering how the Holy Spirit uh, dwells with inside of you, or what does it mean to be a new creation? If you look back on, like you said, the creation, the Trinity place, and then bam, physical everything. Creation space. Creation space. Then you look at your life before the Holy Spirit or before becoming a believer, and that could be a beautiful analogy to how that happens. It, it, it doesn't exist yet, and then all of a sudden it exists. And then within that that physical space, even though it's not maybe a physical space, but within that spiritual space is where the Holy Spirit finds room um, 
for, to dwell with inside you and to be, to be connected to part of who you are and for you to be part of who God is. And, and I think that the text would kind of point towards that. A lot of the things that, that are spoken about the Holy Spirit comes, connects back to physical spaces. Um, you know, uh, that your body being a dwelling place, you know, you, you know, nothing, your body isn't a dwelling place in the physical sense. Um, the only you live there, but if you think about it as a, as new spaces being made where spaces weren't there, um, and maybe even new types of reality that weren't there yet, then when the Holy Spirit does come to dwell with inside of you, then a new space is, is created. God creates a new space for that to exist. Um, and then it's a lot easier to make that connection than, than so our, one of our, commands to be like Christ is to, for us to make space for other people, um, spaces to love others, uh, space to notice people, uh, to see them, to be sensitive to others. Um, if you do that, then all you're really doing is being a better, a better model of who God is and of who Christ is and participating in that repeating story. Mm-hmm. And what side do you want to be on it? Do you want to be on the side that you welcome in the new space or do you want to be on the side that you're angry that new space is made and now there's room for others? Um, I think that uh, for me, you know, I think we can be convicted um, by thinking of it like that. You know, where am I making space or where am I upset that space is being made? Mm-hmm. And, and, and the challenge of Christ would be uh, that all are welcome and there is no room to be frustrated and upset that, that there is now room for others. And, and you can see throughout the text, and like we just mentioned, that you know, Jesus is surrounded by people who that deeply frustrates them. Even, even the disciples are at times where they just don't understand how uh, all this time with Jesus, they're not going to be any closer to God. They're not going to be um, their own special reserved place that other people are going to be welcomed. You know, that frustrates them. It frustrates the human nature. And yet it's God's nature to constantly be creating room for the other, uh, room to love and room to accept. And I think that I like that you connect that to, to what do we do? You know, this, I like that this podcast, my hope is, is that it can be practical to your week. So how can we look at the Holy Spirit and the Trinity and how apply that to our week? Well, you shared with us that we can do that by uh, just like how we made space for the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. Where are we making space for the marginalized to at least dwell in our compassion space, you know, to, for us to notice them and, and to care and to begin to be sensitive to, to who they are and the things that they're going through, even though it may not... Uh, directly affect us, that doesn't mean that we don't make space for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, to get really practical, how this notion of how do we create space? Actually, let me back up before I even answer that question. Why ought we create space? Mm-hmm. Because that's the way God is. Right. God's in the business, even within God's triune self, to create space for all of you know, creation. So I want to, I want to emphasize that again and, and really drill home those within the Trinity place that was totally self-sufficient, didn't need anyone or anything else, could have gone on for eternity, absolutely fulfilled in that a priori place. But within the mutuality and the beauty and the sheer love of that place was the birth of creation, cosmic space, of which you and I are sitting in a room right now. We're a part of that. Mm. Uh, so what does that mean practically? Two things, I think. One, uh, one is it's very legitimate 
in uh, a world that's hyper task oriented, hyper anxious, hyper fearful, hyper competitive. Um, to and the world's already got a good grip of this to practice mindfulness. Because mm-hmm. mindfulness is just a way to stop multitasking, breathe deep, and for a Christian person like me, to practice the presence of God. In other words, I'm making space in my soul for God to enter in. In other words, I'm asking for 60 seconds that the Holy Spirit would push back all of the chaos of the fear, the anxiety, the competition, the violence, the rage, the snark, the anger, the multitasking, Mm -hmm. because that's what the job requires. Yeah, you can't just do one thing anymore. Right? You have to do the job requires all of that. Yeah. But the Holy Spirit, like it did in Genesis 1, chapter 2, holds all that away, pushes it away so that we can just rest, shalom, namaste, peace, in the very presence of God through Christ, empowered by the Spirit. That's the first and most practical thing that we can do. Now, for those who are satisfied with that and are more contemplatives and aesthetics, they're gonna, they don't need to hear anymore. But there are others who, like me, because I'm, you know, I'm a three, an eight, and a one on the Enneagram, so i got to do something about it. But my first thing that I do is to center myself in the reality of the Trinity place because I'm part of the creation cosmic space. But I can go further. I can go further by when I get caught emotionally, when something comes at me that I didn't see coming, I wasn't ready for, a look, a comment, uh, something that I wasn't prepared about that caught me off guard, I can practice emotional sobriety and, and, and literally push back everything that I think to be true about someone who may be a different sexuality than I or not papered or a different race. I can, I can hold everything that I think I know about that at bay, asking the Spirit to push it back so that I can just listen to that person's story because the Holy Spirit of God is allowing room in my heart for the other. Why? Because that's the way God is. Hmm. Because that's the way God is. Um, so perhaps I'm not the greatest at practical touch points. That's one of my weaknesses. Um, I do really well with philosophy and theology and ideas that blow your mind. So I'm not the greatest with action points. Perhaps, just perhaps, those are a couple of really good action points, both for and for different personality styles. Right. For those who are contemplative, reflective, uh, artistic, and then for those who are more doer, action, reformer, challenger, leader, uh, I'll get it done kind of personality types too. Yeah. And really, you know, we really need all those kind of folks. Why? Because there's diversity in the Trinity. Yeah. There's, there's diversity in Trinity, 
and there's unity in Trinity. And it's a paradox that we'll never understand. We just get our whole life to to swim in the deep end of the mysteries of it. Yeah. And I would hate for I would hate for us to argue about this because then that's just more noise from the shallow end of the pool. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's right. You know, I, I, I think those are really great practical steps. I like that you started with mindfulness. Uh, something I like to say is that um, mindfulness is like taking time to see things that you can't see with your eyes, you know? So like taking time to, to, to reflect on the things that um, are coming from your from the Holy Spirit or from your soul or just from your, your contemplation, you know? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, um, that's really just an ongoing, constant thought process that happens uh, I guess even why we sleep, you know, I guess in our mm-hmm. dreams that, sure. um, and if we're honest, I think we can reflect on that. Right. And so I, I would say something similar to what you said, that a good practical step is just look for the patterns in your thoughts about other people that don't match God. Right. And so if there's a people group and for some reason you're like, I, I don't know why my heart doesn't break for them, you know, or I don't know why I seem to look down on a specific type of person or when somebody says something that I don't agree with, why it makes me upset and angry or whatever it is. I mean, I think, I think we spend most of our life blocking that out and maybe especially our life after we know God, we ashamed from that part of ourselves and some guilt about that. Those thoughts are still there, but I don't think that really leaves room for us to to whether that's improve or, uh, to acknowledge and to see it and to uh, really grow from it, I think we're going to have to be honest with uh, ourselves and, and look for those. You know, and, I, and I think they happen I, when we watch the news, when we sit in traffic, uh, when we go to work and interact with other people. And um, I think that if we just recognize them and, and begin to consider uh, why it is that we feel that way, why do we have those things? thought patterns about specific groups of people or someone specific, um, we can begin to unravel a little bit of that connection that we have and hopefully find room for love and compassion. Yeah. And I think if, if we pretend that we don't think about that about anybody and we're the most loving person, I think um, that we're just not being really honest. And I think that's not a, that's like not, a, not acknowledging uh, the room for forgiveness and grace that God gives us. And so... Uh, I think a great place to start, like you said, really is contemplation and really is not what we consider in our society an action point. It's more of just a, a reflection on our thoughts and how we consider other people. Sure. Yeah. So thanks so much. I think uh, on that note, uh, I think we'll end that. And uh, uh, as we all think about uh, how we go and consider other people and uh, how we love them, uh, Tobin, I want to thank you for, for being with us again today. Thanks for letting me sit on the couch. Yeah, thanks for uh, sharing your thoughts with us. And um, I'd like to encourage everyone to uh, begin to get some conversation. We got a great email from someone this week um, who from in our congregation who just wanted to respond a little bit to what uh, we talked about last week. So I want to encourage those. And um, once again, I think the Facebook post, when we announce it, is a great place to have some of that conversation. So we hope to see you there. And as always, we'll see you uh, on church on Sundays. Thanks, Garrett.